everybody. Welcome to Creepy Club. This is our podcast where we talk about um, creepy stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like paranormal, true crime, um, all, all things in that spectrum of topic. I'm Heidi. I'm Rissa. And this is an NSFW podcast. Woo. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. All those letters in a row. That's hard to say. It is hard to say. It's kind of hard to say. Anyway, if you have um, small children or sensitive ears of any type around, you might want to grab your headphones. Um, This also comes with a content warning. We're going to be talking about The Exorcist today in meeting number three, Mm -hmm. which is Especially spooky if you're from St. Louis. Yes. Yeah, I think everybody who lives here has a little, even if you're a non-believer, you believe a little. Yeah, so this is like the story of the the true story that The Exorcist, the movie, was based on that had, takes place in St. Louis. And also, we get into the movie a little bit in like The Curse. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, it's pretty spooky. Pretty spooky stuff. And... Anyway, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Yes, also, it's come to our attention that we should point out that this is not a science podcast. This is a storytelling podcast. Mm -hmm. So while I am the resident skeptic and know a fair amount about things that science-y and um, social science-y, I also enjoy a good story. Yeah. And while I am the resident believer, I certainly don't want to make anyone think that that their opinions are wrong. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or that science is wrong. Science is right. Science is right most of the time, I think. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that is important for me to, to keep in mind as a skeptic is that while there are some things that can be empirically proven, Mm -hmm. you know, it's undeniable. Um, there are always going to be some things that we just don't have answers for yet. Right. It doesn't mean that we might not science it out at some point. Yeah. But for now, it's an unknown. Yeah. And we need to be and stay open to the possibility that the right answer could change. Yeah. The, there was a point in our history where we thought the um, solar system revolved around the Earth. Correct. And And the Earth was flat and some other things that turned out to be pretty wrong. Yeah. And um, they even, didn't they imprison, was it, uh, it's not Pythagoras, it was the guy that figured out that the solar system revolved around the sun. Anyway, I think he he got imprisoned or something for his beliefs. Like the Pythagorean theorem guy? Well, that's Pythagoras. I don't know. We'll put that in the next corrections and conclusions. Corrections and conclusions. Yeah. At the same time, I also think the promotion of certain superstitions and stories could be potentially harmful. Yes. So, you know, a balanced approach is good. I think that we will do our very best Mm -hmm. to not promote anything we think could be potentially harmful. Yeah. Um, And I would, I'll point out when I have a specific belief and, but I'm also really open to all opinions on the matter. So I'm just open to I don't know sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And speaking of corrections and conclusions, let's jump right into corrections from the last few episodes. All right, let's do it. Um, I actually have a correction from, or not correction, but just a clarification from uh, our Momo episode where we, in, in our Into the Woods segment, 
we talked about, or I talked about this talk that I had heard at the Haunted America conference. And it was by, I couldn't think of the name, the full name of the woman. Her name is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And she's actually kind of a well-known cryptozoologist, plus other like paranormal topics. Sure. Um, so I want to make sure to get her name right. And her talk was about interdimensional paraphysical Sasquatch. And I actually have my itinerary from that conference. And I wanted to read the description because it's kind of awesome. All right. So it says, Rosemary reveals evidence that Sasquatch is not a physical animal, but highly intelligent, a highly intelligent being who occupies a parallel reality to ours. Who are these beings? Where do they come from? And how should we change our research approach to learn the truth about them? Oh, so this is the person who believes like there's some sort of like portal to another dimension. Like Sasquatch slips, Mm -hmm. slips back and forth through this door. Right. And she also thinks that that is also connected to alien, the alien phenomena and ghosts and that kind of thing. Well, and I told you I had a missed opportunity this weekend because I went to go visit friends that I've known for a pretty long time, but they live out of town a couple hours outside of St. Louis. So I'd never been to their home before. Mm -hmm. And I went and visited them. And the exit I got off at, if I turned the other direction, was Louisiana, Missouri. And I was like, holy shit, it's Bigfoot land. Mm -hmm. And so when I got there, of course, I was like, do you guys know about Bigfoot? And they totally (laughs) did. And Specifically Momo? Yeah, no, they totally knew about it. And Victoria, she told me that she has a picture of an unusual footprint that she's (gasps) going to see if she can find to send me. She said it's washed away since, but that she thinks she can still dig it up. So if she's able to find it and send it to me, we will definitely add it to the podcast blog. Great. Which so possibly my husband's been out there. Yeah. Who knows? I think that's rude. He didn't bring (laughs) me, but because I had a super great time. And have I got some information for you about bear grease? Oh, gross. Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. Is hair gel involved? No, but it's almost grosser. Um, I think so. The website I looked at is called bear-hunting.com. And they didn't say specifically on how they create the grease, but I think you just render down the fat and it creates an oil. Um, They said, yeah. But pause. Does rendering mean like... I'm just Im- imagining know. a giant cauldron with a bear in it. Yeah. Is that how that works? Like you take well, you take the part off that you make a rug. Yeah. Right? You're going to make a rug out of that part. And then like the inedibles? No, I think it's the fat. I think it's primarily the fat. Which they have kind of a lot of because they need that to sustain yeah. them in the hibernation, right? Yeah, yeah. And this dude who wrote this I'm article, not like a bearologist, but that's right. what I think is how bears work. This dude that wrote the article was like really selling people on the idea of don't throw away that bear fat. Keep it and make bear grease out of it because it's so useful. Like how many people have that just lying around though? People that visit bearhunting.com, I assume. All right. <laughs> um <laughs> So it is used for oil lamps, or they used to use it for oil lamps, and I guess you still can. And There's it, a place for everybody on the internet. Yeah. That's all I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and they use it for oil lamps because it creates a smokeless oil, so it's nice for lighting the house. Um, and it also stores longer than pork grease, which was important when we didn't have refrigeration. Um, so you can use it for pan frying, 
made or vegetables. You can also use it for deep frying. Um, it's also great for making pie crust. He said he made a cherry pie or an apple pie. And it was like, he said it was so great. Like he was just like, this was the flakiest crust of his yes, life. Yes. Yes. Um, I, this is one time when I wish you guys could see my face. <laughs> yes. Uh, Native my Americans, horrified face. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> Native Americans use it for insect repellent. Yummy. So does that, like, I'm hoping that you just have to, like, put some in your pocket or something. You don't have to wipe it all mm, over yourself. I don't know. He didn't say. I imagined it was like. Like a salve. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Um, Hopefully it smells good. You can also use it. Probably not. I would imagine that it does not smell <laughs> I good. I guess if everyone's using it, though, it, like, cancels out the stench, right? Right, right. Yeah, if everybody, that's why hippies can't smell each other, because mm-hmm. they all smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's my rainbow gathering experience, at least. So you can also use it for waterproofing waterproofing leather or oiling knives. And he also said that there's this um, kind of old wives' tale that you can put a like jar of it in a south facing window. And if you can tell, if you can figure out the signs, you can predict the weather. So like the barometric, barometric pressure will let it uh, like it'll release bubbles at certain times and particles will float around in different ways. And he said he hasn't figured out exactly how to do it, but he's working on it. And this was in 2014. So he's probably an expert now. He's a straight up barologist. Yeah. (laughs) And also he um, said it's, if you put it in Mason jars, it's a lovely decoration for your home because it's like a nice Amber oil. I'm going to disagree. <laughs> I don't even need to see it. <laughs> no. I, yeah, I don't. Okay. And can I also just say, if you put it in a south-facing window, which is the window that gets the most sun, mm-hmm. if it melts at a fairly low temperature, then, I mean, that's not really giving you that much information other than the inside of the container is fairly warm. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it, like we said, we don't claim that any of this is fact. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, I don't know how much science is in that one. Mm -hmm. Although I was looking up, I'm just a quick sidebar. I went hiking with my friends, Matt and Victoria on their property. They have like, I think almost 150 acres. So it's not, my phone told me we walked like two and a half miles by the time we were done, Mm -hmm. you know, wandering around with the dogs. But I was looking up different ways that you can orient yourself when you're in the forest. And I knew about the, um, you know, you're probably facing north if you find moss. Not not always, because if you're in a super shady spot that's really dense, yeah. that can sort of mix things up. But generally speaking, you're facing north right. if you find a bunch of moss. Yeah. But there was other stuff like if you have a needle, which who carries around needles, but whatever, you can magnetize it by like oh, yeah. using your own hair and rubbing Mm-hmm. I saw this the on needle on your hair a hundred times, and then you put it in water, and it will go to magnetic north. I saw this on an episode of Orange Is the New Black. Really? Yeah, I've watched all the episodes. I remember nothing about that, <laughs> but I'm not gonna lie. I probably fell asleep like at least twenty times. Yeah. <laughs> so because um, I binge watched mm-hmm. it, and then I was like, whatever, I'll just figure it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back. Right. But yeah, there's some real weird stuff that is actually science so i don't know maybe he's on to something i have no idea yeah i just who carries around needles like 
I mean, yeah, sure, maybe that works, but I mean, I use needles a lot in my work, and I don't carry them around. <laughs> So I, just, I don't know. Who I've done a lot needles. of hiking and camping and, you know, plenty of it solo, but also in an organized way where they give you a list and say, like, this is the stuff that you should bring. And nobody's ever said you should bring a needle. Right. Well, maybe they assume they said you should bring, bring a compass. Right. Yeah. So they yeah, that was the thing they recommended, but they never said that you should bring a needle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So compass. Yeah. So some of the tips that I found, I was like. I mean, sure, that might work, but under only the most unusual circumstances mm-hmm. when you happen to be doing some mending in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Stitch fix on. And who, was, who figured that out? <laughs> yeah. Who, that, yeah. Yeah. And what, what scenario was happening that that even came up? True. So, anyway. All right. So, moving on to the next correction or clarification. Uh, we were wondering what the machine was called that cremates bodies. Oh, yeah. It has a great name. It is called the Cremulator. Oh. Isn't that great? That sounds like something for a cappuccino machine. Yeah. Or like a really mean robot. <laughs> that or like maybe something that would be at a donut shop. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. To like put the cream on the donuts. Yeah. Like or inside the, of it. Or like at the hostess factory for the Twinkies, the cremulator puts the cream <laughs> in the Twinkies. Yes. No, it is not that. Um, and it can cream- I just tell you that we mm-hmm. went to the, so the hostess factory is here in St. Louis and we went when I was in third grade and I'm still bitter about it. We went to the hostess factory for a tour, which was not much of a tour. And I don't care. You can tell hostess I'm mad. Mm-hmm. You don't have to bleep this out at all. So we went there and in my third grader mind, I was getting a mountain of chocodiles and Twinkies to eat. And we got fucking ants on a log and like some talk about healthy nutrition. What a bullshit bait and switch that was. (laughs) And if you don't know what ants on a log is, it's because it's terrible. It's celery with peanut butter and raisins. Nobody wants that shit. Mm -mm. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. I'm still mad about it, though. I feel just as mad about it today as I did at like seven yeah when yeah. i was in third grade i totally i totally get that, that mm-hmm. that's a disappointment that was a ripoff um so stonewall jackson's arm is in locust grove virginia okay which is about halfway between richmond and dc so anybody that wants to go visit him now they know it's well, in locust grove his arm yeah his arm just I the think arm his his whole body is in richmond i think i wonder why they didn't unite them they might have, right? Because they, people... they're not totally sure that it's yeah. actually still there. Yeah, they're like it's where it was buried the first time. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should be like an addendum. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like next to the headstone, like just a little baby one that says maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dot dot dot. We think. Um, and yes, there is a body farm at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. That's what I thought. And then the body farm that they talked about on the criminal podcast that I mentioned um, is at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. Okay. I didn't realize that there was more than one of them. I had originally read about the body farm, and I can't remember if it was fiction or nonfiction, but it was a book where they were discussing um, the happenings at the body farm. I think maybe it was a fiction Mm-hmm. A story about a professor at the body farm. So that's how I found out about it. And I was like, that's totally fascinating. Yeah. And then earlier today, I was doing some research for the podcast, which 
I don't think this is going to be enough of a thing to make a whole episode, so I don't think I'm going to spoil anything here, but um, I was like, how the hell do you train a cadaver dog? Well, apparently the body farm helps yeah. with that sometimes. Yeah, I think they talked about that on the criminal episode, maybe. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, most or cadaver dogs read, are yeah. volunteers, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Oh. I yeah. Mean, do, do they volunteer for their owner? Well, I think you have like a high energy dog and you're like, I got to do something with this dog. (laughs) And so I'm going to train it and people join these rescue groups and you can train them for various different things. And cadaver identification is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually they use like placentas. Oh, It's often one of the things that they'll use to train the dog Mm -hmm. because nobody has to die to give it to you. Yes. Which is nice. Yeah. And I guess... I wonder if you can donate your placenta then. Yes, you can. Somebody said so in um, one of the articles that I read. She was like, I'm like, oh, you just had a baby. Do you have the placenta? Can I have it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like kind of a weird way to begin a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Placenta pals. I also like to just mention that you might notice that we have a little bit of different audio quality from episode to episode. And it's because... We're beginners at this, so we're just trying to improve the audio quality as much as we can. Like, this newest addition to this podcast, this particular episode, is that we have two mics now. and So So fancy. And I also feel like I'm a little, I'm talking a little, like, in my NPR voice, like, you know the sweaty balls <laughs> from <laughs> SNL ladies, you know? Just don't go into infomercial. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. But so, yeah, just bear with us while we're figuring this out because it's new to us. So we're learning. Yeah, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're independent podcasters. We're kind of fronting the money for all this stuff. So we can't buy the fanciest equipment or whatever. But hopefully eventually, you know, we'll get there. But we'll see. Hopefully, much like my tap tap dancing, mm-hmm. the <laughs> enthusiasm. Mm-hmm exceeds the skill in a way that is pleasing yes so we hope you enjoy it either way but all right well i guess that's all for corrections and conclusions i'm I'm ready to get real creeped out yeah this i (laughs) even though i'm not a believer this one kind of gives me the creeps it is i think my mom planted the story she told me she read the exorcist in broad daylight and was terrified when I was yeah. a little kid, I remember her telling me that. And so it's always kind of like that seed was planted early. So I'm like, ooh, this is terrifying. Yeah. And I'd also like to say that I've never seen the movie. I've seen a lot of scenes from it, you know, like the famous pea soup scene. Um, and Don't. Stuff. But <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not going to watch it. But I just want people to know, to bear in mind that I don't really know what the movie my like. friend Tony, it's all your fault. He made me watch it. We <laughs> used to stay up super late, and he was like, "Oh my god, this is the best movie we have to watch." And I was like, "Tony, I hate horror movies." He's like, "No, no, I'll stay up." Bastard fell asleep, and so that scene where she's like spitting the pea soup or whatever. The only time I ever thought about it was when I was alone on the highway late <laughs> at night, and I'd be like, "What if she's in the back seat?" Yeah. And I felt like I couldn't look because I was driving. You know, it was like this real, totally irrational fear that right. someone would be in the backseat. 
And that was when there was always those stories going around about carjacking, like, make sure you look in the back seat because somebody could be hiding back there. That was like a thing for a while. I, I remember reading this, like, it was one of those like creepy tales books for, you know, young adults. And it was like this story about this girl who got into her car at maybe a truck stop or something and was driving along the highway. And there's this semi truck, like riding her ass and like putting on its, uh, what are those called? <laughs> Brights. <laughs> the bright lights. The bright lights. It had its bright lights on. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so freaked out. This guy's going to run me off the road, blah, 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 or something like that. And I think she finally like pulled over somewhere or something. And the guy pulled over with her and she's like ready to fight or something. And he's like, no, there's a guy in your back seat. And so he was trying to keep her safe by um, yeah, like turning on his lights so that this guy wasn't going to pop out. And yeah, that's all I remember about it. I don't remember what happened. That was one of those like email chain letter things, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that has terrified me of the back seat night driving sort of situation never I think I sort of like it was a mashup between those chain letters and watching (laughs) the exorcist at that time that created the irrational fear chain letters what happened to that let's just be glad that they're (laughs) mostly gone I see them on Facebook still every once in a while I get like some sort of equivalent in Facebook messenger and I just ignore it yeah like for those of you that don't know maybe younger folk don't know what chain letters are it was like when email started becoming a big thing and maybe your aunt or your grandpa would send you this email that was like, if you don't pass this on to, you know, it told you a creepy tale. And if it, if you don't pass it on to 10 other people, you're going to be cursed forever or something like that. Well, and if you're really old like me, people used to get them in the actual mail. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you get them in the actual mail and you were supposed to send them on mm-hmm. to 10 people. Or whatever stupid number that they decided. Right. Or you were going to have, you know, the curse or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's let's jump into The Exorcist. I think this might be a long one. Just All right. I'm ready. Warning. And this is the true story that the, well, true in quotes. Let's <laughs> put that out there. Um, mm-hmm. True story that the movie was based on. So in the, the story actually starts... In Maryland, uh, in 1949, this 13-year-old boy who um, is known as Robbie Doe, that's his, like, pseudonym because they want to protect his privacy. Sure. I think there's probably a handful of people who know who he really is because I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Um, yeah, 49. I mean, he'd be he'd be up there, but yeah, he's probably, probably still around. Yeah. Um, so, Robbie Doe and his family started experiencing strange phenomena occurring in their home in um, Cottage City, Maryland. They heard scratching sounds in the walls. They would hear footsteps, people walking down the hallway. Um, objects like dishes and stuff like that were found to be moved without explanation. The family thought, mm, maybe it's mice. <laughs> so, they called Yeah, them- my first thought was like rats in the wall. Yeah, so they called an exterminator, but they found no evidence of rodents. Okay. So then Robbie began to be attacked. Um, His bed would shake. uh, Blankets and sheets were torn from his bed. And in one instance, he tried to hold on to the sheets, um, but then was pulled from the bed with the sheets while he's still clutching them. Oh, poor Robbie. Yeah. It's kind of scary. 
Um, his family thought that this activity was related to the Ouija board that his Aunt Tilly gave him. This is why I don't touch the Ouija board, just in case. Yeah. So Aunt Tilly was supposedly this like spiritualist kind of woman who believed in the paranormal and stuff like that. And, of course, she gave Robbie a Ouija board and taught him how to use it. Um, so they thought maybe an entity was possessing Robbie through this Ouija board activity. Um, they thought, they also thought it could have been Aunt Tilly cause she, but she also, she died a few days after the phenomenon began. So that's not that quite, doesn't really yeah, line the up. timeline doesn't line up. Does anything good ever happen as the result of a Ouija board? Like, <laughs> have you ever heard, uh, we got a Ouija board and then this magical thing happened. No, it's always... It's always something really dark. Really terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think they even held, like, the uh, mother really thought it was Aunt Tilly. And so they um, held, like, a seance to, like, talk to her and stuff. And apparently they, they heard, like, knocking on the walls and um, stuff like that. But, you know, most people don't think it was Aunt Tilly. <laughs> so it was Aunt Tilly like, doing Morse code, telling them, it's not me. Right. <laughs> So then the family went to their church for help. They went to a Lutheran church. Um, I don't know what it was called. But uh, two Lutheran ministers from the church came to their home. And they also brought along a rabbi, just in case. Sure. <laughs> um, Never hurts to cover all your religious bases. Exactly. So the rabbi was examining him. And Robbie started to shout in an unknown language. And I think they recorded it. And later, a professor at Washington University in St. Louis identified the language as Aramaic, which is a ancient, ancient biblical yes, language. Yes, that's what uh, Jesus spoke. Yes. I believe it is a known as a dead language. Am I right? I don't... Yeah. So, Aramaic is what Jesus spoke. Amharic, I think, is still spoken in Ethiopia, mm -hmm. maybe, because I always get confused. I used to have a work-study stu student who was from Ethiopia. And gotcha. he spoke Amharic. And I was like, oh, like Jesus. He's like, no, that's Aramaic. <laughs> I was like, just kidding. That's not what I meant at all. Right. But yeah, no, I don't think anybody, I think if you go, you know, in the Middle East, you've got Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And then what do you like various forms of Arabic? Because yeah. it's, you know, there's, I guess, different dialects. It's right, not all exactly right. the same. So the odds of a 13-year-old boy from Maryland knowing Aramaic are really, really slim. Seem pretty low. Yeah. Okay, so one of the Lutheran ministers, Reverend Luther Scholz, tried praying with Robbie and his family together, and then he tried praying alone with Robbie, and then took Robbie to church to pray, but nothing helped. Scholz then questioned whether or not it was the house that was haunted or if it was Robbie that was haunted. So he um, asked his family if it was okay if Robbie spent the night with him. Could be kind of a troubling situation, what we know about I was church gonna say, and young I boys, feel, but it I don't wasn't. Know. It was totally, I feel uncomfortable about that, but all right. You know, it was the 1940s. It was, it's fine back then. So um, Schulze's wife slept in the guest room while Robbie and Schulze occupied the twin beds in the master bedroom. Like Lucy and Ricky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, in the middle of the night, Schulze heard the bed shaking and he turns on the light and he witnessed the movement of the bed while Robbie was like wide eyed awake and very still in the bed and was not moving so at all. Like but the bed was just, yeah, the bed was just violently shaking. Um, 
Schulze prayed for it to stop, but it only got worse. So then he got Robbie out of the bed and he said, I think you maybe should sleep in this like big, heavy armchair that I have in this room. And so uh, Robbie starts to kind of doze off and Schulze's watching and the, the chair moves back and forth a little bit and then slams against the wall and tips over, depositing Robbie on the floor. He was unhurt, but... I don't think I care for any of that. Right. I don't know. If I was that guy, I'd be like, mm, I'm sorry that all this is happening, but I'm going to have to tap out. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope we'll it all works out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Hope um, it works out. Good luck. So then he, so Schulze then makes a pile of, I keep saying Schulze. I think it's probably Schulze has an E on the end of it. But anyway, Schulze makes a pile of blankets on the floor for Robbie to sleep on. He's like, no way that the whole house is going to shake, right? Well, the blankets start sliding back and forth across the floor. I was like, duh, they're totally going to move around <laughs> <Yeah>. the room. <laughs> yeah. And he said that Robbie's hands were visible the entire time and the blankets weren't scrunched up in any way that looked like somebody was actually like pulling them or pushing them. It's just they're like sliding. I feel like that's a kind of magic trick you'd have to practice a lot anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, would be a very hard um, magic trick to pull off. Just saying. Um, so then Scholes was like, this is crazy. I'm going to contact my friend, uh, JB Ryan, who is the founder of the parapsychology lab at Duke university. He contacted him about Robbie's case and Ryan was like, okay, well, let me try to witness this, uh, myself. And so him and his wife went up to stay with Robbie and their family. Um, but while they were there, no activity occurred, which I thought was really odd. If all this activity is like, you know, really intense and happening a lot. It doesn't happen when this, you know, parapsychology guy. Maybe that's an anecdote to demons. Oh, like antidote? An an what did I say? Anecdote. Yeah. No, wait. Like, okay, it's the remedy. We're just going to pick a different word. Okay. So maybe that's... A yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah, you just have to get a scientist involved. Mm-hmm. So Demons Ryan, don't like science. Yeah. I think, I don't know, there's people that don't really think that parapsychology is a real science, but, you know, whatever. I don't know anything about parapsychology. It's like the study of ghosts, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's probably, para means, like, kinda. <laughs> kinda <laughs> is that what that means? psychology. <laughs> yeah. Is that a department? Yeah. I just gave Duke credit. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, it's Duke, so it's probably some kind of well, real science. Well, he's probably a very smart guy if he founded a lab at Duke University, whether it's the parapsychology lab or not, right? I mean, I'm thinking. That's a top like ten. He's got a little bit of credibility there. But anyway. Probably not a total dummy. So Ryan suggested that maybe this sounded like poltergeist activity, which is often centralized around troubled teens. In a lot of cases... Um, you know, it'll, uh, stuff will move, you'll hear noises. And a lot of people have the theory that it's kind of like the inner turmoil of the child being expressed outwardly as like energy, like somehow maybe Robbie was doing this with his own mind and he didn't really realize it, that kind of thing. So this is like the outward expression of a gothy teen. Yeah. Yeah. Like an angsty teen. There, there was some mention of Robbie's troubled childhood i didn't really get into that too i mean the article i was reading didn't really get into it too much so i don't really know a lot they about it and i didn't specify his troubles no i didn't i didn't really read into that because there was just so much other 
stuff about this case that... I mean, obviously, I want to be like, there's clearly some mental illness at play, and then everyone's kind of buying into it to some extent. You know, everyone's participating. Right. The moving around of the furniture and stuff, though, that's kind of puzzling. Yeah. But then people can do, there's that like spoon bending trick with your mind that's not, that's totally explained. I don't remember what the Mm -hmm. explanation is for it, Mm -hmm. but it's not magic. Yeah. There, there's a scientific reason for why that happens. So, hmm. And also only a couple people ever saw it. Right. These are all firsthand accounts from people who are maybe credible witnesses. Yeah. So, uh, so as I said, Ryan suggested that maybe this was poltergeist activity and Scholes was totally willing to accept that hypothesis until bloody scratches started appearing on Robbie's body. Then Scholes was like, um, you need a Catholic priest. Oh, so he did tap out. Mm-hmm, he was he did. like, he peace definitely out, did. my friend. So that's like a stigmata kind of like where you have mm-hmm. these unexplained wounds. Right. But I mean, that like, I don't know, somebody blows their nose and he scratches himself. Yeah. Maybe. We'll get to it. Okay, go ahead. So the family called upon a young priest named Edward Albert Hughes from the nearby St. James Church. Edward was skeptical, but decided to come see the boy anyway. Um, Apparently, Robbie shouted at him in Latin, and that totally changed the priest's mind about his skepticism. He was like, oh, crap, this is actually real. Okay, but wait. Yeah. When I was in Catholic school, parts of our services were still in Latin. Mm -hmm. And that was in the 80s. So, like, in the 50s, him knowing some Latin would not be probably that unusual yeah it's not out of the realm of possibility but this family grew up lutheran so they don't they didn't really go to this was the first time they've ever had really contact with the catholic church uh, presumably okay so um and dad's not like a linguist or something or mom (laughs) not that i know of okay um he so hughes then applied to the archbishop to perform an exorcism that's a process yep okay I wonder if there's, like, forms. That's what I was just thinking. Like, do you go on the Archdiocese and Archdiocese website, and you're like, you know, forms, download, exorcism request? I would, I would like to apply for an exorcism, please. I'm totally going to check out the um, St. Louis Archdiocese website. Yeah. <laughs> See if they have forms I'm for it. I'm sure they don't have forms available to the public, but I'm, I'm, it's probably something internal, I would assume, because there's so much secrecy around the whole exorcism thing, like all the... All the priests that are involved in exorcisms are sworn to secrecy about it to protect the privacy of their... Man, I used to be buddies with a guy who's a Franciscan friar, which is just... He's a Catholic priest. He's also a Jesuit. Um, He teaches at one of the big Catholic universities here. Mm -hmm. But we've lost touch, or I would totally be like, yeah. You better get back in touch with that man. I know, but I feel like <laughs> leading the conversation with like, hey, I know we haven't talked in like mm, five years. Tell me I, everything about exorcism. <laughs> I need to know all the secret stuff about exorcism. Yeah. I did get to see inside the friary, though. I did get a tour, a secret tour. Cool. Of their, yeah, they call their room cells. Oh. Which is kind of depressing. It's yeah. really, it's just kind of like a dormitory. Yeah. It wasn't really that. Well, they have the like vow of poverty, right? Yeah, so Franciscan friars commit to living with the poor, kind of like the um, every different 
group of nuns, like the uh, Mother Teresa order, they commit to living with people who are poor. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're never going to find them in a wealthy neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So, that's their deal. The Franciscans live with the poor. Very, very cool dude. Super smart. Had, like, well, not had. He's not dead. Uh, Has (laughs) a couple PhDs in various theology and something else. Super smart guy. Yeah. So, he got uh, approved for the exorcism, and they performed it at Georgetown Hospital. Uh, Robbie, this is still in Maryland, by the way. We haven't even gotten to the St. Louis part. I wonder if there's an expedited form, like this one's urgent. Yeah, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Expedited. Um, So, Robbie goes into a trance. When they start the ritual, Robbie goes into a trance. He thrashes about and starts speaking in tongues. Um, Apparently, he slipped one hand out of his restraints and broke off a bed spring and slash used it to slash hues from shoulder to wrist. That's not nice. That's very long. <laughs> that's very long, and that's just not nice. Right. So, but I guess box springs didn't have a fabric covering over them. I don't know. They were just exposed springs. Mm. I'm trying to think of estate sales I've been to, like in mm-hmm. old houses. Yeah, I think they were like, you know, the old iron beds. I think the they had the slats, the wooden slats, mm-hmm. and then the springs were exposed. Yeah. But holy fuck, that would be hard. Yeah, you'd have to be super strong to actually break one off. But anyway, we'll we'll get to that. Okay. Um, the and I, I have a quote here from the article I was reading because I didn't it didn't really make a lot of sense to me and I was hoping maybe since you're uh, a lapsed cultural catholic maybe you could clear it up, but Sure. It says, the stories say that Hughes subsequently left St. James, suffered a nervous breakdown, and during masses that he held later in life, he could only hold the consecrated host aloft in one hand. I don't know what that last sentence means, do you? Okay, so the consecrated host is the blessed, so the host is the cracker, the special cracker. Okay. So when there's this whole ceremony for blessing... The cracker, and I think it's called Transfiguration. I might be getting my Catholic words mixed up. My Catholic vocabs are rusty. Mm-hmm. But so during the Mass, which goes on forever, they um, the priest that's performing the service has like assistants, mm-hmm. acolytes, mm-hmm. who help, who bring stuff up to the altar, and he says some he sings some stuff, sings some prayers. And they believe that the cracker, after its blessing, sometimes they put it in this fancy box. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes the, the the host, the cracker, and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ. Right, right. Like the literal body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the consecrated host would be the actual body of Christ. So if he was only able to hold it up with one hand, does that mean anything to you? I just feel like if you believe that that, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that's just what this article said. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, and so like the priest, they only hold it in one hand anyway, because they're serving it. So I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm about to contradict all of that anyway. So (laughs) it's fine. Um, So the involvement of Edward Albert Hughes, this guy, um, 
he on, it only appears in the book uh, Possessed by Thomas Allen. Okay. Uh, and it was found to be contradicted by a lot of research done by outside people, including this person that wrote this article. Um, there's no record of Edward Albert Hughes actually going to Robbie's home or trying to perform an exorcism on him or even having a nervous breakdown. People close to him don't remember him having any injuries around that time, such as a slash from shoulder to wrist. I think you would you would probably notice that if you were you close to this person. Probably need a tetanus shot and go to a doctor. Yes. Um, and so there was no Some records, stitches, no maybe. medical records like yeah. that either. Um Robbie was checked into the Georgetown hospital around the time that the exorcism was supposed supposed to have taken place. Um, but it was recorded that he underwent extensive medical and psychiatric evaluations and he was found to be normal. Maybe Robbie's just like without any sort of conscience and is very histrionic. I don't know the way that they, um, when they go into like what happened after the whole exorcism thing happened, he seems like a pretty normal dude. So hmm. I don't know. Okay. Um, the, I mean, it's all pretty weird. So that whole story they think maybe came from um, this assistant pastor that Hughes had later in life. His name is Frank Bober. And Bober says that Hughes confided in him about the exorcism, but also Bober was kind of available to the press a lot more than all these other priests that were involved mm. in this. So it kind of seemed like maybe he, um, you know, exaggerated a few of the details and stuff like that. Um, and he definitely told this story to Thomas Allen, who wrote that book. And Thomas cited him as being very reliable, but it was probably all just a story. There are definitely some people who have the job as priest who display very narcissistic behavior yeah. mm-hmm. and really seem to enjoy the benefits and the attention. Yeah. Because if you're the priest of a parish, like you get doted on like crazy. Yeah. If you're a nun, forget it. Mm -hmm. But the priest, oh my God, they get presents and lots of attention and lots of dinner invitations. And so if you're somebody that likes that, that's definitely, you know, I can see how someone who has that kind of personality would be like, ooh, yeah, I could be famous on a whole new level. Right. Yeah. So most people don't really believe in that whole exorcism ritual that Hughes was supposed to, supposed to have done. But records do indicate that Robbie's mother took him to see Hughes at the hospital. And Hughes, during one of these documented visits, Hughes suggested that she starts using blessed candles and holy water and special prayers and stuff like that. So she did start using candles, and this is also a quote from the article. Robbie's mother began the use of blessed candles, and on one occasion, a comb violently flew violently through the air and struck them, snuffing out the flames. Later, an orange and a pear flew across Robbie's room. The kitchen table once overturned in the boy's presence, but without his aid, and milk and food flew off the counters and onto the floor. At another time, a coat jerked from a hanger and a Bible landed at Robbie's feet. A chair that the boy was sitting in spun around so fast that he was unable to stop it. So I just thought that was interesting. It's kind of a strangely worded paragraph. But Okay, new theory. Yeah. Mom's got mental health problems. Mm, probably. How old Maybe. is Robbie? 13. 
I feel like you're impressionable enough that if your mom tells you enough times that something happened at that age that you might start to believe it. Mm-hmm. So then uh, records also indicate that he was removed from his school in 1949. Fellow students and neighbors said that he was a troublemaker just looking for attention, but the school records don't really indicate that he ever really got into much trouble. Um, but one of his friends and like fellow students said we were in, this is a quote, we were in eighth grade and we were in class together at Bladensburg Junior High. He was sitting in a chair and it was one of those deals with the one arm attached and it looked like he was shaking the desk. The desk was shaking and vibrating extremely fast and I remember the teacher yelling at him to stop and I remember he kind of yelled back, I'm not doing it. And when they took him or and and they took him out of class and that was the last I ever saw him in school. I don't know if he was doing it or what was doing it because I can't get it clear in my mind. It was very closed mouth in the neighborhood at first. No one knew anything. I hadn't seen him in some time, and I was wondering what happened to him. I would still see his father around and remember going to his house, and his German grandmother came out, and she could barely speak English, and she told me he was in St. Louis visiting relatives and would not be back for a while. He hadn't been in school from what I saw. I knew something was strange. I knew something strange was going on, but I didn't know what. When the Washington Post article came out later that summer, I knew from the details it was him. So I guess I I didn't really look into that Washington Post article, but I guess they came out and talked about his supposed possession. Hmm. Okay. So after Robbie's hospital stay at Georgetown, his mother... I also want to say that this article that I got it from kind of jumped around a lot in the timeline, so I'm not quite sure exactly what happened when. But I think, you know, that his school was definitely in Maryland. So that was definitely before they went to St. Louis. Um, and so, but I assume maybe he got, he, he got taken out of school and then went to the hospital at Georgetown. And then after that, well, you'll see, we'll, we go to St. Louis. I mean, that seems fairly consistent from what I remember okay. of learning about the story. Yeah. When I found out the movie was based on two separate exorcism Mm -hmm. stories that you know he was from dc or somewhere near there okay and had come to st louis from there and i knew that there was a jesuit priest from st louis university that was involved somehow and i think it's like maybe the old st alexis hospital something like that okay i'll tell you all right so after robbie's hospital stay at georgetown his mother started considering taking him to st louis to visit family Um, The more she thought about it, the more it sounded like a good idea to her. And then shortly after, the word Lewis appeared scratched on Robbie's chest. Hmm. The family claims that this and other words would literally appear on his chest while Robbie's hands were completely visible. So she took that as a sign and they went to St. Louis. I don't know if I would take directions from the thing writing on my body. Well, I think she was really... I mean, she says later... She says that she thought it was a supernatural order and that she was afraid to, um, she was afraid of the consequences if she didn't follow this supernatural order. I mean, it all sounds a little wacky, mm-hmm. but if I was this person in that position, I can't say that I would do something different. Same. It all sounds bananas. So they go to St. Right. Louis. The phenomena continues. Uh, 
Robbie's family talked about putting him in school in St. Louis. And shortly after a large no appears on uh, Robbie's wrists and ends appeared on both of his legs. And this Robbie took the, or Robbie's mother took this as another supernatural order and decided not to put him in school. So then one of her cousins suggested visiting her former teacher at St. Louis university, Reverend Raymond J. Bishop. He agreed to look into the case. He came over uh, and to pray over Robbie and witnessed the bed shaking and the skin branding happening. So then he was like, I need help. So he brings in William Bodern into the case. Bodern was a pastor of the St. Francis Xavier church, which is on Lindell and grand. If you're a local, Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the college church at St. Louis University. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he served as a chaplain in World War II. So he's kind of a big deal, I guess. So I guess, wait. So one of them was a St. Louis University teacher, prof- professor. So also a reverend. Right. Well, so Jesuits, their like, I guess, mission or dedication is teaching. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy was the priest at the college church. Yeah. He wasn't employed by St. Louis university. The article made that detail clear. Huh? But he was, yeah, I think they're all like the same thing now, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. So they, then they both went over there and prayed over him and, um, nothing got better. But after they left the, his relatives, Robbie's relatives heard a noise and they rushed into his room And they found a 75-pound bookcase had swiveled in a complete circle. A crucifix that had been under Robbie's pillow was now at the end of his bed. And, of course, the bed was shaking. Mm. Yeah. 75-pound bookcase swiveled in a complete circle. That's huge. That's pretty spooky. Yeah. So Bishop and Bodern were granted permission to perform an exorcism. They filled out the form. They filled out the form. Archbishop was like, sure. Sounds like a really good idea. Mm -hmm. So they started the exorcism uh, in the relative's home where he was staying. And apparently exorcisms are a very dire physical and spiritual struggle. The demon supposedly tries to break the faith of the priests that are performing the ritual. So this was kind of a, you know, it's a big ordeal. The priest came to Robbie's house after or his Robbie's relative's house after Robbie had gone to bed they per- they started performing the ritual after he falls asleep and they said he went into a trance and had to be held down by multiple people welts and scratches continued to appear on his body the words hell and spite appeared after Bodern demanded the de- the demon reveal itself Robbie would curse and scream in a voice that ranged from deep bass to a high falsetto and the ritual ended at dawn but little to no progress was made uh and and in the morning robbie would be completely normal and be pleasant and um had no recollection of anything that happened the night before do they say what the like what is the ritual just praying or yeah i think it's a lot of praying i mean like is there a kit Probably, I bet there's like some holy water and some crucifixes and maybe some books and because, like you know, there's a last rites kit. Yeah, like it comes in a little briefcase. Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that I can look up and we'll put it in our um, corrections, conclusions, conclusions, and clarifications. I'm gonna yes. add that other c word. I think that that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen actual last rite 
kits mm-hmm. and they kind of remind me they're about the size of a backgammon board. Like if you've ever seen a travel one. Mm-hmm. So they're, I don't know what, like, like eight by 10 or something. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have little vials for holy water. Right. And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're kind of, I have seen them when well, my mom used to run an estate sale company. I see them every oh, once yeah. in a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I guess you, I don't know. Maybe you don't reuse them. I don't know. That's not really maybe, sure. Maybe something to look up. Or maybe time. you, you gift them to the family. Maybe. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I have no idea. But I've seen them before and I was like, what's that? Is some kind of weird bar kit? Like, yeah. what? Because it looked like shot glasses or something. My mm-hmm. mom's like, no, that's for last rites. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a whole different kind of party. <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah. a terrible mistake to make. Yo, whoops. <laughs> so, um, so this exorcism ritual, it continued for many, many weeks without any improvement. That sounds super exhausting. Yeah. They eventually took him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital, which was in South St. Louis at the time. It is now gone, but... Well, so that hospital still exists, just not, not in the same, in the same place. Same yeah. Building. yeah, I think originally it was on South Broadway, and they tore it down. Well, okay, so it's still on South Broadway, so maybe, well, maybe they just the took new part of it. I don't, I don't know. I'm I wrong. think I remember, well, so Tony, who made me watch The Exorcist, was like some kind of exorcist expert. <laughs> and so I remember him telling me that the floor that it happened on, like you weren't, nobody was allowed to go on that floor. Yeah, so I did read that after this exorcism took place, they locked up the door permanently and nobody was allowed in that room and everyone knew why they weren't allowed in that room. Mm-hmm. And um, supposedly most of this research uh, came from a priest's diary that they found in that room when they were tearing it down. Yeah, I know that the place where it actually happened, like that that floor, that room was sealed off. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the whole floor, but I got the information from like a human, not Yeah, I only read that it was the room, but who I mean knows? That, I mean who it's a game of telephone anyway. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. It doesn't matter. That space was right. inaccessible for whatever reason. I do know that the place where it was it did originally happen. That building was demolished for whatever reason. Because it was so haunted. It was probably because it was so haunted. (laughs) Or maybe they just... I don't think it's the richest of hospitals. They probably couldn't afford to keep it going. Yeah. It's a pretty low-income area. Yeah. They continued the ritual at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. And the phenomena seemed to worsen over time. He started to... he He would spit with astonishing accuracy from long distances at the priests, like hit them right in the face. I feel like that's a lot of 13 year old boys from across the room. I don't know. That seems oh, pretty. You don't know John Schroeder. <laughs> My brother could spit incredible dif- distances mm-hmm. and do that gross loogie thing where Ew. you like drip it and suck it back in. Okay, Super gross. That. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. I'm that one doesn't even phase me. 13 mm-hmm. year old boys are disgusting. They well, practice doing gross things a lot. He also punched and slapped priests, which I wouldn't put past a 13-year-old That's boy. That's not very nice. He also constantly urinated and belched and farted, and the farts were had an unbelievable stench. 
again, John Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is basically my brother <laughs> as an early teen. <laughs> um, he, oh, he also confronted the priests with information about themselves that he couldn't possibly have known. Oh. That's kind of cool. Naughty priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not all angelic, that's for sure. His body would contort into impossible shapes. But in the morning, again, he'd be fine. And he often spent the day playing games with student assistants. Hmm. Yeah. So, oh, and one priest reported seeing him shake off his handlers and run across the room to attack Father Bowdrin. And Bowdrin was holding a ritual book, and as Robbie touched it, the book vaporized into confetti and fell into small pieces on the floor. Wild. That's kind of cool. Yeah, way cool. Party, instant party. Confetti, woo! Is he in any way related to David Copperfield? (laughs) (laughs) Could be, who knows. So, nothing was helping. So the priest decided maybe we should start schooling Robbie in Catholicism. Um, and during his lessons, he seemed to quiet down some, and he seemed to really enjoy the lessons in Catholicism. That's, so the, un- that's pretty unusual for a 13 year old. The boy. indoctrination was working. Yeah. Um, and when they took, but, but when they took him to receive her, his first communion, he broke into a rage worse than any of the priests could remember. That's not how that ritual's supposed to go. Right. It's, it looks like a tiny, a, a really small person's wedding. Right. Like children getting married. There's yeah. a lot of white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like tiny waiters and tiny brides. Tiny waiters. <laughs> it's like black pants, white shirt, bow tie. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get your get your uh, body of Christ for the well, first time. And some boys have those communion dresses, too. So usually the dresses are worn by the acolytes, and those are the, like, priest helpers. They're the oh. ones that... Um, it's like a, looks kind of like a choir robe. Right. Yeah. They're the ones that are usually helping the priest during the service. And now they let girls do it. When I was a kid, the girls weren't allowed to, Right. you weren't allowed to do anything cool. <laughs> and we, like, you thought that was cool. Like you were special. Yeah. 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 Like you got to carry wine mm-hmm. for starters and you were in like fourth grade. Right. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you maybe sneak some cheap gallo wine. Yeah. Mm. Blood mm. of Christ. Yeah. So Bodern tried to make uh, arrangements for Robbie to return with him to Maryland. I'm not really sure why, but they could find no, they, they both went up there together and they found no accommodations. The churches were like, we don't want anything to do with Robbie. So they went back to St. Louis. <laughs> Robbie's poor Robbie. Right. Nobody wants to hang out with him. No yeah. wonder he's troubled. Yeah. So he was taken to a Jesuit retreat called White House that overlooked the Mississippi River. Oh, that place is still around. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. And this might be another Catholic thing that you can explain to me. It says Robbie and some priests were walking the Stations of the Cross. Correct. Which is what? So when you're inside a Catholic church, the Stations of the Cross depict the last like movements of Christ prior to his um crucifixion. Uh, thank you. I was like his hanging. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> his crossing, his thing. Yeah, wow. The brain is rusty. So if you're in a Catholic church, I'm like, I can I'm in St. Joan of Arc right now. I'm sitting in the pew and I'm looking and the stations of the cross are up below the stained glass windows. And once a year and I don't remember might have been right before Lent. That would make sense because mm-hmm. Jesus is coming back. Gotcha. So you would do the stations of the cross. And so there was, you would be 
basically it's like a guided tour of the last moments of Christ. Gotcha. Right? So, in, in at this White House, the stations of the cross were outside, kind of near the bluffs. Oh, okay. So, it was just, instead of being plaques, it was Probably. larger art installations. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, and Robbie became really nervous and agitated, and he suddenly bolted towards the cliff's edge like he was going to jump. That's probably not a great idea. Yeah. So one of the priests managed to catch him and subdue him. So at this point, Bodern was like, I don't know what to do. This is crazy. I need to figure out something else. This is not working. So he starts researching this old case from 1870 that was very similar to Robbie's. So according to that case... He was supposed to wear religious medals and hold a crucifix during the ritual. Um, and when they did this, Robbie suddenly became remorseful and asked about what certain Latin prayers meant. But Bodern was like, no, 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 demon, you are not going to trick me. I Instead, I'm demanding to know the name of the demon and when you would depart. That's what he demanded. Does it say who the saints were on the medals? No. Okay. Because uh, there's like a trillion saints. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't know. And there's, yeah, there's a saint for everything. I was just wondering. I mean, it's right. probably not like St. Francis of Assisi, who's like <laughs> patron saint of the animals. No, know? probably not. Yeah, probably not him. So when Bodern demanded this, Robbie exploded in rage and screamed that he was a fallen angel and had to have five people hold him down. Bodern continued his demand over and over for hours until Robbie interrupted him in a different voice, like a very uh, deep voice, yelling that he was now the archangel St. Michael, and this voice ordered the demon to leave. Hmm. Robbie's body went into a fit of convulsions and spasms and then fell quiet. Then Robbie sat up and said, he's gone. Robbie said he saw a vision of St. Michael with a flaming sword. Huh. <laughs> I mean, the the story of St. Michael's pretty well known, mm-hmm. even amongst people who aren't Catholic, I would think. I don't know it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you don't have to. Yeah. I mean, just the, you know, he's kind of a badass warrior type. Yeah. Um, Everything I know about because. Catholicism is from the movie Dogma. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that movie. Really? Oh, it's pretty Wait, funny. is that with that guy? Um, It's a Kevin Smith joint. Okay, no. And Alanis Morissette is God. No, I definitely haven't seen that one. We might have to watch it. I don't know how, how well it holds up, but it was definitely very funny in high school. I have like this really weird relationship with Catholicism because my dad was a Catholic mm-hmm. and I went to Catholic school for kindergarten, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So I got, you know, I mean, I went to church three times a week and had religion class every week. So I yeah. got, they crammed a lot in, in yeah. that time. Um, so I remember quite a bit and there are some things that I do sort of reflexively without even thinking about it that I'm like, that was a super Catholic thing to do. Yeah. You know, like, I'll cross myself for no <laughs> particular reason. Be like, why did I just do that? Mm-hmm. You know, so there are things that become like really ingrained. But there's some stuff that because I got this kind of piecemeal education, I'm like, I don't know why we do that. Right. I don't remember. And my dad was a really bad Catholic. So he just he was putting on like 
the heirs of being a Catholic, but I don't think there was any real Catholicism happening. He just wanted to have the appearance of being Catholic. Mm -hmm. But I did have friends whose family, like the Menzi family, that was some serious stuff at their house. It was fish on Friday. Mm -hmm. No joke. They had, there were, her mom was like a very hardcore, very serious Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, after St. Michael appeared, nothing uh, nothing supernatural ever happened to Robbie ever again. I mean, if you're going to have an angel on your side, St. Michael's the guy to get. Yeah. So, he remained a devout Catholic, which I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if that was my experience, yeah. uh, 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 we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that all this stuff really happened and he remembers it. Yeah. I think that I would probably cling to it pretty tight. Yeah. And he reportedly lives with his family in Washington, D.C. and leads a pretty peaceful life. So fun fact. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad it all worked out for Robbie, by the way. Yeah. It sounds like he was headed either like um, he was having some sort of psychotic break or maybe his mom was or there was some sort of group delusion going on like. Sounded like the mental yeah. health amongst the group was maybe not the best. Yeah, and I read that a lot of skeptics believe the same thing, but it's hard to discredit. Well, it's hard to explain all those things that happened to him. Yeah, there's definitely some weird stuff. I mean, he could have been kind of sneaky with his self-harm. That's possible. Yeah, I mean, the, some of the scratches appeared like, on the small of his back where, or not the small of his back, but you know, like the upper back where you can't really it would reach. Be difficult. And stuff yeah. Like that. Yeah. And then him knowing that, but then you think like a literal handful of people are the reporters of all this information. Yeah. And they're I all mean, highly superstitious yeah. about that stuff. They're hardcore believers. Yeah. So they're not going to be very objective. And mm-hmm. I think when you have that mindset, maybe you, are more likely to link things together that are maybe not related. Mm-hmm. So I think that's possible, but it's creepy either way. Yeah. I don't think that I would want any of those things to happen to me or anyone I know. No. So, I mean, yeah. I certainly can't explain any of it if it's true. Yeah. But fun fact, my friend, Amanda, a friend, um, a friend of hers owns the house in St. Louis. Really? Yeah, where the family... So, people, like, drive by and stop oh, to yeah. check out the house all the time. Yeah. Which, that would be kind of annoying. Yes. But Does they she are, live there? Her friend? Yeah, her friend lives there. They had a Halloween party there a couple years ago. No way. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, would die. I'll have to ask Amanda about the party. I'll have to quiz her about it. Can we invite ourselves? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, if it was up to Amanda, sure. I don't know how <laughs> open her, her friends are to... But I want to say that the room that he was in is their nursery. Like they're total skeptics. They're like, whatever. I don't care. It's fine. You should see. They make they would, like jokes about it or whatever. You should see if they would let us record a podcast in there. Oh man. <laughs> I'm sure we wouldn't be the first to ask. Yeah. Certainly not. Well, if they're I skeptics, they probably wouldn't have like ghosty stories or anything. No, no, mm-hmm. I don't think I can't decide if, would you get the house for a really good price or would it be more expensive? I think it depends on like what, where it is because I think it's in like Bell Fountain. So it's probably in, not super expensive. Yeah. I mean, well, and I also think that like, I think in New Orleans, they, that's a thing that's like, you want a haunted house. 
And there's so much ghostly activity down there that they advertise that, oh, this house is haunted. But then, then like, I've heard in L.A., people tend to not talk about that stuff. But you kind of, there's also, like, laws that you have to disclose that information or something like that, which is so bizarre to me because it's such a subjective, you know, metaphysical sort of thing. Like, how can you put a law on something that can't be proved at all? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I feel like if your house used to be, say, um, a place where meth was manufactured, you should have to disclose yeah, that in the yeah. sale. Yeah, and you could probably prove that with court records and stuff like that. I would think records. so. Or you would mm-hmm. want to know that it had been properly decontaminated. Yes. I think they actually, in that case, have to just, like, level it. I don't think you can decontaminate. But you get the idea. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that would make sense to me. Or if there was a homicide, you know, if somebody died. And I don't think you have to tell someone if someone died in the house. So a friend of mine rented an apartment, then through a weird series of events, found out that a mutual friend of ours knew the person that lived in the apartment before her who had committed suicide in the living room. Oh my gosh. And the landlord never disclosed to her that Mm -hmm. someone had committed suicide in the apartment. Yeah. So I don't think you necessarily have to say someone yeah, died here i might i might be making up that law but i'm gonna look that up and we're gonna talk about it next episode i think you should and i'm kind of curious to know do you have to disclose if someone died in a house yeah i don't think you do i don't think you do either i mean and you definitely don't as i don't think the landlord was breaking any laws by not telling her and it's just a complete and total fluke that she found out mm-hmm. she ended up dating a guy who was friends with the woman who killed herself mm-hmm. wow. and talk about creepy. Yeah. So he comes to her apartment for the first time and is like, Oh my gosh. Oh my God. <laughs> this was my friend. And it was fairly recent. She was the next tenant. Wow. Can you imagine that? Uh, he freaked out. Yeah. Understandably. So yeah. he was like, this was my friend's apartment. She just committed suicide. Like, you know, X number of months ago. So he knew she hadn't lived there for very long, obviously. Yeah. And she had no idea anybody had killed themselves there. And so then she's like, someone committed suicide in my living room. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Like, that's kind of weird, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to live here now. Mm -hmm. So, um, it all worked that it didn't, the relationship didn't work out, but that didn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Just wasn't meant to be. I have a a fun little after story. Do you want to hear about the curse of the movie set? I mean, why not? Exorcism? Yeah. Or The Exorcist? Why like wouldn't I, I? I think it's <laughs> what I meant to say. Yeah. So I'm just going to list off a bunch of things that happened during the filming and after the filming of this movie. All right. Um, a mysterious fire burned down most of the set, delaying production for six weeks. The only room left untouched was Reagan's room. It was the girl that was getting the exorcism. Okay. Nine people reportedly died during the filming. Actor Jack McGowan, who played Burke Dennings, I don't know who that is because I don't, I don't I see the movie. He died from a heart attack related to a case of the flu shortly after finishing his work on set. Actress, this this name, I'm sorry if I get it wrong. Vasiliki Mal- Maliaros, Vasiliki Maliaros, 
who played Mary Carras, I think is the mother of the priest that's doing the exorcism, uh, died during post-production of Natural Causes at age 86. That's probably a coincidence, right? Yeah, that seems okay. Um, actor Jason Miller, who played Father David Carras, who was doing the exorcism, his toddler, so sad, his toddler was struck by a motorbike and killed during the filming. Oh, God. Uh, Linda Blair, who played Reagan, the girl getting exercised, uh, her grandfather died during filming. Um, actor Max von Sydow's brother died on the first day of shooting, and Max played Father Len Lencaster Marin, who I think was also another priest doing an exorcism. Um, a cameraman's baby was stillborn. Jeez. And a security guard died. That's a lot of dead people. Yeah. And some pretty tragic circumstances. I'd kind of like to see, right. And I'd kind of like to see the numbers on like maybe, you know, Love Actually's <laughs> deaths related to when, the, when Harry met Sally. When Harry met Sally. Yeah. Something right. that's not so spooky. I'd like to see if there's like, a, I don't know, a average amount of deaths that are related to film set. I don't know. I mean... It's a random bunch of humans in a fairly large group. Yeah. So the fact the that odds are... someone knew someone that died is probably not that unusual. Right. That is sort of a clusterfuck of mishaps yeah. and accidents and Tragedy. tragedies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say that's an unusual amount. The fact that the topic of what was being filmed was also creepy mm-hmm. is a pretty strange coincidence. Well, I have a whole list of other things, too, that happened. So both Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn were injured during different stunts when their harnesses malfunctioned. I think Ellen Burstyn played her mother. I'm not sure. Um, They used the take of Ellen Burstyn actually getting hurt because her scream was horrifying. Fun fact. Not very fun fact. As it is usually when one gets injured for real. Yeah. Ugh. Um, an extra in the film. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> love in a morbid way. An extra in the film, Paul Bateson, who in real life was an x-ray tech at the hospital that they filmed in. He was convicted of murder and admitted to several more killings. So he was a serial killer. That was an extra in this movie. Isn't that crazy? I kind of want to look up his story and see if there's. Yeah. Well, you know, that's right to, up my alley. Yeah. You should maybe, maybe. You know, I love serial killer stuff. Yeah. Maybe you should I don't take love, him on. Let me rephrase that. That right. sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. I'm particularly interested in the psychopathy of serial killers. Right. I do not condone or endorse the killing of anyone or anything yeah i would hope that the listeners of creepy club also understand your love of serial killers quote-unquote love yeah i mean (laughs) so sometimes when my husband's gonna like stay up and watch some crap i don't want to watch that wasn't very nice sometimes when my (laughs) my husband's gonna when he's gonna watch something i'm not interested in i'll be like Okay, dogs, let's go have a slumber party. We're going to watch Animal Planet. Yeah. And then we go to the bedroom and we get on the bed. And I'm like, okay, everybody get comfy. We don't have that channel. We don't have Animal Planet. We're going to watch murder. (laughs) 
And so then Russian we, prison documentary. We had, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that too. I'm like, isn't this great? You guys are going to watch murder, which sounds really not great, but I do sometimes let them watch YouTube animal videos. Mm, you're a nice for fun. their devotion. Mm-hmm. You're a benevolent God, obviously. <laughs> um, so the, re- the, crew reportedly witnessed objects moving on their own, including a telephone that rose from the receiver and fell multiple times. The director, William Friedkin, asked the religious advisor, Reverend Thomas Birmingham, to perform a real exorcism on the set because of all the unease. He refused, but later returned to set and gave it a blessing. Like, what the hell, why not? Yeah. Well, and can we not forget that they found a serial killer there? Like, maybe he had a little something to do with some of these things that were going on. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe they had, you know, some movie sets, there's always a prankster. Right. So maybe there's fishing line attached to that phone or something. Oh, this one's a good one, too. During a screening of the film in Rome, a giant 400-year-old cross on top of a nearby church was struck by lightning, causing it to fall into the plaza below. I wouldn't care for that at all. That is a crazy coincidence. That is a pretty crazy coincidence. Although most coincidences are pretty crazy. True. I guess it wouldn't be a coincidence. Right. Um, Mercedes McCambridge, who voiced the demon, her son shot and killed his wife and children before committing suicide. That's not very nice. Yeah. Um, Billy Graham. <laughs> like the religious guy? Yeah, yeah this the Christian pastor that just croaked? Yeah. Okay. He claims that there's a demon living in the actual celluloid of the film. Oh, Billy, come <laughs> on. I just thought that was my... Uh, that's like when, who was it that said the Teletubby was gay? Oh, yeah. I don't know who said that. Maybe oh, Billy Graham. God. No, it wasn't Billy Graham. It was another... Like, I think Billy Graham was much more mainstream. He had it because when he passed away... He was being honored in several places. This mm-hmm. It was somebody who was more televangelist. I can't mm-hmm. think of it. We'll have to put that on the list of things we have to look up now. I'm yeah. totally drawing a blank on his name. All I can think of is like crazy pastor Oklahoma, but that might not be accurate. Um, I'll look it up. But yeah, he was like, that Teletubby's gay. Can't you tell? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fucking Teletubby. I mean, I that whole show is pretty gay. I, don't know. I think <laughs> it's very rainbow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was like, I don't, I think they're asexual. I don't yeah. think Teletubbies know about have, sex. They don't have genders or I think sexuality. they're genderless. And I don't, I think they just hatch from eggs. I don't mm-hmm. think they're sex. And I don't think they're real. What? <laughs> you Wait heard a minute. it here first. Next you're going to tell me that. I don't believe in Teletubbies. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me the Muppets aren't real either. Oh, no, they're real. I fucking love the Muppets. (laughs) I still have my Muppets lunchbox. Oh, that's so cute. Who's your favorite Muppet? Oh, shit. That's a good one. Um, I feel like we have to throw in something at the end so people don't walk away, like, depressed and afraid. I do have one more creepy detail about the... Okay, we'll come, we'll, the, we'll come back to Muppets. Back. Yeah. Oh, don't sorry. say that. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> don't. You're hurting me inside. I, after, okay, after editing and listening to that part, god, I still... I just hate that phrase. I still am flabbergasted. <laughs> as it's to why worst. that phrase... I'm, I'm probably... It's now in my head, so I'm probably going to have to use it more. 
Oh my god, it's the fucking worst. The only thing worse that you could say is circle the wagons. I don't, I, I Let's don't. get everybody together and what? circle the wagons. What are we all fucking pioneers now? Can you, okay, at your next therapy appointment, can you explore this with your therapist and tell me why? Try to be conscious of not saying it. Just however, don't ever say circle the wagons. However, That's the worst one. Now that it's on my radar, it's probably just gonna... Now that's on my radar. I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> I did not mean to do that, but that's hilarious. Back doesn't have any real negative connotation. Right. But it's often something that people say if they're dismissing you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you bring up a topic, they'll say, let's circle back to that in a minute, which is a polite way of saying, can you shut the fuck up now? Mm-hmm. I want to keep talking. Well, I definitely do want to talk about the Muppets, but... Okay, thanks for the therapy sesh. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so the actor, Jason Miller, who, if you remember, his son got hit by the motorbike and died. Poor he, guy. He had a near-death experience when a motorcycle hit him head-on. Oh my god! And he says... He was approached on the street before this happened by a priest who handed him a medallion and who warned him against people who will do things to, quote, reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will even try to stop what you were trying to do to unmask him. That may be the creepiest thing anybody could possibly say to you. Right? When you're working on the set of The Exorcist and you're revealing the devil for the trickster he is by making this movie. Oh my gosh. It literally doesn't matter if your job is scooping ice cream. If somebody says that to you, (laughs) that is going to be the creepiest thing to anybody. If somebody just randomly walks up to you and was like, here's this medallion that's going to protect you from this unseen force that's pure evil. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's trying to get you, by the way. Right. Yeah. And I don't like that at all. And then you almost, or and then you almost die by getting hit. Right. And you've had this horrible tragedy already. That's also motorcycle related, right? Yes. Was it his his child was killed? Yeah, his toddler son was struck by a motorbike. I yeah, that guy should just stay away from roads. (laughs) Yeah, just all roads. Mm Hmm sidewalks things near roads yep Ooh, yikes yeah that poor dude so muppets um muppets are fucking amazing is what they are i have a funny story when i was a kid i well and i still struggle with this like not um taking people's opinions personally (laughs) i mean that's like humans sure yeah so when i was a kid um i was playing with my brother downstairs and I asked him what his favorite Muppet was. And I think he probably said Gonzo or something. That would be very Aaron of him. And I I was like, well, what about Miss Piggy? Because that was my favorite Muppet at the time. And he was like, I don't really like Miss Piggy. And I was like, Mom, Aaron doesn't like Miss Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally crushed. Yeah. Like he was talking about you personally. Exactly. Yeah. Aww. What a dick, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should confirm with him what his favorite Muppet is, for starters. Yeah. I think my favorite Muppet was probably Fozzie Bear. Oh, yeah. I'm just a sucker. I love bears. Anything Mm bear-like. My husband's kind of like a big sweet bear. Mm -hmm. 
he's real cute, like a bear. Um, I thought Fozzie's jokes were terrible. Oh, I yeah. I mean, they were supposed to be, right? I didn't think his jokes were particularly funny, but I thought he was adorable. Mm-hmm. And he was one side of my lunchbox, so I admired him frequently. Yeah. I, you know, my. He was doing the like, he had on his tiny hat mm-hmm. and the banana in his ear thing. <laughs> yeah. What was this supposed to be a phone or something? Yeah, I don't remember. He was always sticking a banana in his ear, which is a really weird thing to yeah. do, weird random thing to do. But so I would, and the opposite side of the lunchbox was like a, a group shot. Mm-hmm. But I, I was not a huge Miss Piggy fan. I preferred Kermit. <sighs> I know, I know, but it makes sense though because you love clothes and hair and makeup and all that stuff. And Miss mm-hmm. Piggy's super into all that stuff. Yeah, so I get it. She was a very domineering and independent woman. She she was. Mm-hmm. Kermit was a real easy breezy kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. They were a real yin and yang kind of relationship. Yeah. I don't think she steamrolled Kermit, though. Kermit stuck up for himself. Uh, I well, think she probably did. But okay, maybe but a he, little. He did stick up for himself in some instances. I like it when he, like, flap his arms and be real excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does, like, the crazy, like, wobbly. <laughs> I liked him, and I always like the Swedish chef. Oh, I love the Swedish chef. My niece, Betsy, she calls him funny guy. Oh, like, I want to watch Funny Guy. Oh, <laughs> isn't that cute? That was the one show I remember watching with my mom, and I think she was excited to watch. Probably as excited, maybe more excited than me to watch the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. It was, a good it show. was so good. I think that was like primetime TV when I was yeah. a wee person. I have a hard time thinking about what, who my favorite Muppet is now, currently, but I have to give some mentions to like. Waldorf and oh no, what's his name? Oh, the guys up in the balcony. Mm-hmm. They're, They're pretty funny. Yeah, and then I like Sam the Eagle. He always makes me laugh because he's just so weird. Do you he remember was, him? Yeah, he was like a kind of a like a Ted Koppel sort of guy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just so he. I think it's the contradiction it's like between buttoned up everybody's being so silly and then him just being so staunch and like <laughs> he was Mister Serious. Yeah, and then Beaker and Bunsen. Beaker and Bunsen were pretty cute. Mm-hmm. And then the Fraggles came along sort of oh, when yeah. I was kind of phasing out of interest in those sorts of things. Like mm-hmm. the love for the Muppets indoors. How can it not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I still think about the dozers all the time. Every time oh, I yeah. see any, anything being constructed, mm-hmm. I think about the dozers. I'm like, Oh, dozers. Yeah. Match them in their little, their little hard hats. Mm-hmm. Just working in town. They're doing a new Fraggle Rock on Netflix. Kind of oh. excited about it. I don't think that Fraggle Rock, the show, was n- anywhere near as good as the original Muppet Show. But. No, I think, well, and I think it's meant for a different audience, right? Because the Muppet Show was kind of universal for all ages, right? They had, like... My mother certainly enjoyed it. Exactly. They had um, different like musical acts. show. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and probably in humor that kind of spanned all generations whereas i think fraggle rock was mostly aimed towards young kids yeah there was that like floppy dog mm-hmm. and the old guy who were oh, sort yeah. of narrators i guess yeah i don't remember in the trash heap mm-hmm. boy we really went down the rabbit yeah. hole huh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we love the muppets mm-hmm. you can love creepy stuff and adorable mm-hmm. cuddly things were you are you too were you too old to watch the muppet babies um 
I think that's how I was introduced to the Muppets was Muppet Babies first and then Muppet Show. I think I, I think, yeah. I mean, I knew what it was, but I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was like, that's dumb. Why wouldn't you just watch the Muppets? Mm. I like the Muppet Babies. I was like, why would you? There's a particularly hilarious episode that I still will sometimes YouTube. And it's like, uh, it was a mashup of Star Wars and the Jetsons and the Muppet Babies. And I love the Jetsons. The, I still want a Rosie. There's this one part where, um, you know how in the Jetsons, the theme song, it's like, meet George Jetson. His, His boy, boy Elroy. Elroy. Right. Yeah. So the conceit in the <laughs> this still makes me laugh. The conceit in the Muppet Babies episode is that the this voice is coming from the spaceship that Kermit is driving. He's also playing like George Jetson and slash Luke Skywalker for whatever reason. I mean, sure. And so he's driving this spaceship around, and it's just, it just keeps going, meet George Jetson. <laughs> he's like, shut up! Shut up! It's just driving him crazy, and then he crash lands into Dagobah. Ah, still makes me laugh. I'm, like, tearing up, because I think it's so funny. <laughs> so, I'm going to have to look that up soon. <laughs> yeah, we know what Russ is doing later. She's going to have that YouTube on a loop. Mm-hmm. I'm going to post it on our, on our website. I mean, why, why not? Yeah. So I think we should wrap this up. We've been recording. This is the longest one so far, I believe. Yeah, That's, an hour 30. <laughs> you know what, though? The, exor- ex- the exorcist story has a lot of twists and turns. That it was... covers a large geographic area. Yeah. There's a lot of people involved, and there's a lot of just weird stuff. And I feel like I probably could have included a lot more information. In I also that. feel like if you're a native from St. Louis, you have some sort of um, personal connection to it in some way or another. Yeah. Like you grew up hearing about the story or, you know, someone who knew someone, you know, mm, there's right. kind of th- that thing. Um, oh, I found when I was looking through some of the costumes we have at um, the community college, I was looking through like our scrub box and I found scrubs from the Alexian brothers hospital. Oh, I mean, they're not used. I assume. I hope not, but I thought that was kind of cool. That's my connection. <laughs> uh, well, I've been inside the current Lexian Brothers Hospital before to visit someone. Cool. Yeah. It looks just like a hospital. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. What do you say we wrap up? All right, let's do it. So I would really like to thank my boyfriend, Brandon Lee Chilcote, for our intro and outro music. Yes, who still he has such a rock star name. Yeah, I know, right? He was really a, everyone comments on his last name. I know that's what you always say, mm-hmm. and well, I mean because it is a totally rock star name. Yeah, I, if he wasn't a shy introvert, he could really work it. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband has radio announcer voice. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but he's same thing, shy introvert. Mm-hmm. And look, they got us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Opposites attract. Okay, so if you have any personal stories or topic suggestions, again, this is a storytelling podcast. We are not scientists. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to be scientists. We will present science um, as we know it, the best that we know it as lay people. Yeah. Um, but we just, we like interesting stories. Yeah, we want to hear your personal connection to the St. Louis exorcism story. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you mm-hmm. have a personal connection, absolutely. So you can tweet us at creepy club pod, or you can email us at creepy club 
podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we hope to hopefully read those stories on our podcast as soon as we start getting them. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some mailbag episodes. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on social media. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash creepy club podcast. Our Instagram is at creepy club podcast. And if you want to look at meeting minutes, you can go to creepyclubpodcast.com. And we'd also love it if you would rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. We are, like I said earlier, we're an independent podcast here. We are really hoping that our friends and family will listen to us, but we would love it if we could get other listeners too. And we can do that by, you know, spreading the word. Yes, please. We want to find our tribe. Mm -hmm. We know you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so thanks for um, attending our meeting. We hope you'll join us next time. Uh, Don't know what the topic's going to be just yet. I'm working on it. Okay. Surprises. Mm Mm-hmm. Meeting adjourned.